I currently practice what for me uh, is solo polyamory. Um, and I define this as I don't have any primary relationships except with myself. So my main focus is for me to be happy with myself and to be confident and secure in myself um, so that I can then show up as a good partner in relationships outside of that. Welcome to Normalizing Non-Monogamy, the podcast where we interview incredible people from across the entire spectrum of non-monogamy to hear their fascinating stories. We strive to bring guests on the show who have a healthy approach to non-monogamy. However, it's important to remember that everyone does it a little bit differently, and the views and opinions expressed by our guests do not necessarily reflect our own. Additionally, we produce this show for entertainment purposes only. Please be aware that we aren't doctors or therapists. Consult a medical professional for anything regarding your health that you might learn about on the show. Enjoy. Well, welcome to episode 291. We're Finn and Emma, and today we have a wonderful conversation with Sarah. Sarah is from Belgium and has always known throughout her life that she's not monogamous, but she didn't put language to that until about seven or eight years ago. We dive into so much of her story today. Yeah, this is a wonderful conversation, and just a huge thank you to Sarah for reaching out and for coming on and for sending us a voicemail. Well, We'll, yes. come, we'll come to that later, <laughs> but just a huge amount of gratitude. And and one of the things, actually a few of the things that I wanted to just maybe say up front about this conversation that were some of the key themes that were really amazing were around navigating non-monogamy and frankly life in general as a neurodivergent person. And one of the things Sarah talks about is not only is she neurodivergent, but her partners are as well. And they've found ways to really work together in a beautiful way. Yes, And so we wanted to maybe just say that up front. And there's also some really great conversations about coming out to family and really just embracing life and exploring life and trying anything once. Mm-hmm. So today we're excited because this is a beautiful, fun, uplifting, happy conversation. Yes. Before we jump into the interview with Sarah, we do have a couple of announcements. You want to stay tuned for these. They're, we got new announcements. We do. If you're a premium subscriber, we're going to jump right into the interview now. If you're not a premium subscriber, don't worry. You can become one by going to our website, normalizingnonmonogamy.com, and scrolling down on the homepage and signing up right there. By signing up for a premium subscription, you get to skip these introductions at the front and jump right into the interview. But don't worry, you still get important dates at the outro. One thing we do want to mention also up here, we are taking a break for the summer from our virtual meet and greets. Yep. So we will be back probably in August or maybe September, but we'll tell you when and we'll see you then. Yes. Well, we'll see you before then. We'll see you every week until then. We're just taking a break from the virtual meet and greets. Yes. Only the virtual meet and greets. Nothing else is paused, which leads me to the community. The community is not paused. No. The community is expanding. (laughs) It is. We're super, super excited. So for those of you not familiar, we have an online community. Uh, We have monthly Q&As. We have monthly uh, calls for men's groups and women's groups and an online great ongoing support network. If you're interested in joining, you can do so on our website under the community tab. It's only five bucks a month. And there are about 300 of you in there and over 150 or so are active on a daily basis. And so it's a pretty vibrant community and we're super excited about it. So thank you to all of you who are in there all day, every day, supporting one another. And Along those same lines, we are actually expanding some of the things we're offering for the virtual community. And the big one that we're doing are uh, virtual 
weekly peer support groups. And so I've actually been running one of these since October as the men's group. We've had a weekly men's group with about 11 or 12 of us, and we've been meeting every week, and it has been absolutely incredible. I am totally blown away by it. I I don't know what I expected, but it blew away all of my expectations. And so I'm going to talk about the details about what's coming in a minute. But before I do, I just wanted to read a testimonial that one of the members and friend of ours, an amazing support system for our everything we've ever done is has just been there for us. And, and we're, we're so grateful for the support. But his testimonial says as follows. I was lucky enough to be included in the first weekly men's group cohort. While I'm in individual and couples therapy, the single best thing for my personal growth and journey has been the weekly men's group. I've bonded, laughed, cried, and formed lifelong friendships. It seems to be uncommon for men to support men in such a way, and that's unfortunate. The honesty, vulnerability, and safety that we share is invaluable, and more people need it in their life. I highly recommend this group or a similar one to everyone I know. I'm a forever participant and apostle and believe that you will be incredibly positively benefited if you join. Wow. So I, he, he said it so much better than I said it clearly, but uh, <laughs> I, so a ton of gratitude for that. And so, yeah, thank you. I want to chime in. And I just want to say that another thing that Finn and I are doing alongside all of this work um, on the podcast and community is we're both getting more education around coaching and learning to lead groups. And so we're both in different programs and I won't go into all the details because I want to keep this more concise, but we are on that path. Yeah. Yeah, and we are both in the middle of that path. Yes. We, we aren't just theoretically going to do this path. Right. So, so part of what we wanted to bring to the group at, at this time are some additional weekly support groups. So we are launching an additional cohort of the men's group. We are wa- launching a women's group, yep. a weekly women's group, and we are launching a gender-inclusive group. And so all of these groups, you can find out more information about how to join them on our website, normalizingnonmonogamy.com. Click on the community tab and you'll see a link there to find out all of the information, which is the same place you would sign up to join the community. Right. And so what would be included in these weekly support groups would be a weekly 90-minute call. We're going to do cohorts of 10 people maximum, and then Finn and I, Finn or I will be part of this. So you will have weekly 90-minute calls plus an online platform uh, with just the 10 people in that cohort that you'll have access to in ongoing chats throughout the weeks between the calls. Yeah, and you'll need to be a part of our virtual community, which is, again, just a couple of bucks a month to to join this because all of the, the technical stuff happens and all of the community work happens on that platform. Yes. So again, we'll, we will happily answer any questions. Send us an email, send us a voicemail. We can give you more information. Again, there's more information on the community tab on our website. And we'll, we'll continue to announce this for the next few weeks as we fill up these cohorts. And hopefully we'll be able to launch more in the future. Yeah, we're super excited if you can't tell. And we would love to hear from you. Um, again, like Finn said, go to our website and fill out the form if you're interested. Um, or send us a voicemail, send us an email with any questions, comments, concerns. And that's in general. Actually, reach out to us. If you'd like to come on the podcast, share your story, or if you have any other things you'd like to share, please reach out to us. And with that, we're going to jump into the interview here with Sarah. We normally tell you about stdcheck.com and how amazing it is, but we just did. And you can go find links in the podcast show notes on our website, normalizingonmonogamy.com. Click on the podcast tab or in your podcast player below. There are links to everything you could ever want. Yep. You can get a discount on stdcheck.com. You can. Shh, we're not telling them about that. <laughs> okay, let's go talk to Sarah. 
Welcome to the podcast, Sarah. Thank you for being here today from across the world. We're excited to chat. So how are you? I'm a, it's evening. It, it is a neat <laughs> evening for me. <laughs> True. Uh, how are you right now? Let me rephrase that. <laughs> I am mostly excited to be here. Thank you. Great. Mostly. All right. Well, hopefully by the end, we'll check in and you will be 1000% excited to be here. <laughs> Do you mind introducing yourself for us, I suppose, and the listeners get the added benefit as well? Yeah, sure. Um, so my name is Sarah. Uh, I'm a 40-year-old white cisgender woman from um, all the way across the world in Belgium. I identify as queer. Um, more specifically, uh, I think I feel most comfortable with the label pansexual. I also identify as neurodivergent. Um, I'm a highly sensitive person, have suffered some brain trauma, um, and uh, that is why I would not be very happy if you were playing music <laughs> under this entire interview. Got it. Well, just for anybody listening who's wondering what we're talking about, plug your ears, Sarah. I, I now have sound effects and I added this music a second ago and you were like, no, 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 don't do that. <laughs> I mean, you could still choose to do it, but then this conversation would be very brief. <laughs> and have a great afternoon. Okay. <laughs> My brain would not be able to to tolerate that. Uh, and have like a sensible conversation at the same time for a very long time. So. Fair yeah, enough. Well, thank you, you for letting that. us know. <laughs> yeah, thank and, you for sharing. And for explaining that. And so let's, I'm, I'm, I'm excited to dig into all of that because I can imagine all of the different things that you just talked about have impacted your journey. Mm -hmm. And maybe just rewinding the clock back to the beginning, where, where did non-monogamy and all of that first come into life or maybe being pansexual or red, red, uh, not registering. Uh, what's the word? It's too early in the morning here. Realizing, <laughs> realizing <laughs> when, when you realize that you're pansexual, I'm just gonna leave that in. Um, it's, it's, you know, this I wasn't works. sure what you were going for. I was like, I, I'm trying to read your mind. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> the realization that you were pansexual. All right. I'm going to stop talking. It's your turn now, Sarah, go for it. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Um, I want to say that I've probably always known that I wasn't monogamous um, on a deeper level, but didn't come into the vocabulary attached um, with it until maybe like um, seven or eight years ago. Okay. At that time, I was in uh, an ethical non-monogamous relationship, a relationship where we started having conversations about what it means um, to be relating to one another and how we wanted to design the relationship very quickly on just after a few months. And um, throughout that relationship, it also became clear that we started exploring things through the, let's say, the scene of swinging. Mm -hmm. And I wasn't necessarily interested in the sexual dimension of it. I mean, that did titillate me and it did excite me and it brought me a lot of um, joy and fun exploring, but it wasn't really what got me hooked. Um, what got me hooked was building connections with people on a very deep level. Um, and I also have this tendency of crushing on other people while I'm in a monogamous, at that time, monogamous uh, relationship. And um, that was something that I struggled with for a really long time. I was raised a Catholic and felt like a really bad person whenever I was um, having feelings for someone else or just starting to notice that I was interested in someone else because I was raised with the idea that 
you marry the one person that is the one for you um, and you settle down with them and you start a family. That's the idea I was raised with, but that didn't resonate with me with how I was experiencing things in my life. And that was, there was a lot of emotional turmoil about that, I would say. Uh, I literally, for a while in my early 20s, thought that I was going to go to hell um, for, you know, not being able to, um, and I'm using my words, choosing my words carefully here, not being able to fit into that mold. Mm Because that's really how it felt to me. Like there was a side of me that I had to suppress because it wasn't allowed by society, or at least not by the type of society that I was that I was raised in, that I was surrounded by. Yeah. It wasn't just that you you didn't want to do it. It was that it, it, it went, against, uh, went against the grain of who you were. Yeah, exactly. So this brings me to the how I see polyamory in my life is, for me, it's a sexual orientation. It's not a choice. The choice I've made is to live by it. Right? I've been practicing it um, actively since... Um, four or five years after that first open uh, relationship or openness openish relationship after that ended i made a very deliberate choice to not engage in monogamous relationships anymore but that was the i would say that that was the springboard that that relationship was the springboard that um put me in touch with a lot of the vocabulary with that partner at the time. Uh, as I said, we were exploring um, swinging. We were also uh, active in the burner community. I've been to several burns in Europe. Uh, I've been to Burning Man a couple of times. We uh, engaged in the King community over here in Belgium um, as well as uh, abroad. And I, I felt very comfortable in all of these um, arenas and all of these fields where people were doing things slightly differently from what mainstream society does. And that made me feel very much recognized, very much seen, and made me feel very much at home. And that is something that was was like a huge weight was lifted off my shoulders. So that's why I decided to um, start leaning into that and, and um, actively exploring that a lot more. Yeah, that's amazing. That's amazing. And I'm curious back, about it sounds like about eight years ago you got into a non-monogamous relationship, and that was mm-hmm. like you said that was the springboard. Mm-hmm. How did how did that come to exist? Like, how did you find yourself in a non-monogamous relationship? Um, the the concrete, the very concrete reason was Burning Man. Um, my then partner uh, was going to go to Burning Man in the states that summer. We had just met, and I was curious about it, and I was asking about what the experience entailed uh, for him and whether it was uh, mainly dancing or art or um, drugs or sex even. And so when I touched upon that topic, he brought up that the sexual was indeed part of the experience for him. And I instantly felt like I didn't want to be the one to take that away for him to, to tell Mm. him that I don't want you to engage in any kind of sexual, um, uh, sexual experience, sexual activity while you're there, because if that's part of your, um, of what you love about it, I want you to be able to, um, go there and have those experiences. That was all fun and games in theory In practice. It was really hard for me to then find out that he had indeed gone to Burning Man and had sex with, um, someone else and i'm air quoting here because this is really 
this is just me unlearning a lot of the things, a lot of the uh, narratives that monogamy imposes on people in society. And so this was really me also um, being confronted with, at that time, the boundaries or, or the, the limits of the limitations of my thinking. Mm-hmm. Um, and it wasn't until we started exploring things together that I found out that I actually quite enjoyed the experience of um, seeing him engage with other people and um, be sexual with other people. And that was really eye-opening. And I, and I think the transition and the shift and the rethinking of a lot of these concepts, such as insecurity and jealousy, really uh, that's really when the ball started rolling and when these things started to unfold. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And so prior to that, that's, so you said that was about eight years ago. And mm-hmm. then but prior to that, you had been trying to fit into the mold for yes. all through your twenties. And just it, like, you couldn't, like it wasn't working, but you didn't actually understand another option until this relationship. Well, um, there's one other factor, um, that was helping me realize this. And that was, um, well, I'm calling this person a factor now, um, <laughs> but that is, uh, that experience, is actually, experience. <laughs> uh, um, that is actually, uh, my current girlfriend. Um, mm-hmm. uh, so I will, I will come to that story in a minute, but maybe this is a good segue into what my current relationship, um, constellation looks like. Um, yeah. And then I have a couple of questions about jealousy or envy tying back into the Burning Man experience. But let's yeah. let's talk about your, your relationship constellation. That's great. So uh, I currently practice what for me uh, is solo polyamory. Um, and I define this as um, I don't have any primary relationships except with myself. So my main focus is for me to be happy with myself and to be confident and secure in myself um, so that I can then show up as a good partner in relationships outside of that. Um, I did not invent this definition myself. I borrow it lovingly from a friend who gave me their permission to borrow it. But I think it it, it captures really well what why polyamory is working so well for me. Because I used to have a tendency, um, and I'm still sometimes prone to it, I will admit, um, a tendency to codependence where I was really almost forgetting myself when I was in a one-on-one relationship in particular, um, where I would put my partner's needs before mine. And then um, after a while, I would realize what I was doing and then I would have to rewind the clock. But of course, you can't rewind it. And then it becomes really unsettling for the other party um, that my behavior changes. And so it tends to get a bit... Problematic is a big word, but it tends to... Um, get a bit messy when when that realization hits and for me in solo polyamory I can maintain my autonomy I also I live by myself and um, I have a cat who just now is walking in and (laughs) joining the conversation Um, but so my autonomy is really important Um, part of being a highly sensitive person is I need a lot of alone time I need a lot of time to decompress from the world at large, which I find very invasive at times. And so I have more energy and I can make better decisions about how to spend my energy with other people when I have a lot of downtime. And that's why um, solo poly works very well for me. 
I love it. Yeah. And so within that constellation, there are currently um, two, uh, let's say, stable uh, partners um, whom I've been with for several years. Um, I will call them just for the ease of conversation. I will call them my girlfriend and my boyfriend, even though I don't like all of the associations that are attached to these labels, but just for the sake of pragmatics, that's what I, I will call them with their yeah permission and consent uh, for the, the for this conversation. So, slightly more enduring than factor one and factor two. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, she, I, I, I think she will be amused when she hears this because usually <laughs> I call her my muse and now I, all of a sudden she's, she's degraded to or devaluated to <laughs> factors. I'm sure she'll see uh, the, the humor in that. <laughs> I, th- I think it's a term of endearment. Emma, you are now my main factor, my primary factor. Uh, I love it. Uh, okay. So backing up a little bit, just because I wanted to touch on that experience at Burning Man, because I think that's, uh-oh, Emma's, Emma's got things. No, I want to touch on that too. I just want to, I would like to recap real quick first. So from throughout your 20s and everything, like you're just trying to figure out like doing relationships, but not really feeling like they work for you. And then in your, about eight years ago, you um, had experience with the person um, with your partner Mm -hmm. that went to Burning Man. And we're going to ask, dig into that a little bit more here in a second. Mm -hmm. And then since then it's been this evolution of figuring out um, until today uh, where you're at today is identify as solo poly. And so it's kind of been a journey at least of not exploring non-monogamy the last eight years or so. Is that yes accurate? Then, All accurate? That that is accurate. But then if if I look at my twenties from the lens and with the knowledge that I have now, I was actually already doing polyamory back then. I just wasn't aware of it. Uh, and that's yeah, where yeah. factor one comes in. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Well, why don't you touch on that uh, right yeah, let's, now let's and, then, and then we'll go back to the burning man. Yeah. I'm sorry if this is getting confusing. <laughs> no, um, it's okay. Uh, it's, it's also, that's what I love about talking to people about my relationship constellations, because every time I have this kind of conversation, I come to new realizations, um, such as muse and factor are interchangeable terms. Uh, <laughs> I will need to send her a, a message about that before she hears the podcast. <laughs> but no, what was happening in my early 20s was um, that there was this girl who was also at uni and who was very clearly hitting on me. And I was in a relationship uh, back then, a monogamous relationship. Um, and as often happens my male partner wasn't really against me having a thing with a girl because it was kind of like it wasn't necessarily hot or sexy for him but he didn't see it as a threat and he would apply the what I call ostrich strategy where like if I don't know about it it hasn't happened and I don't have to deal with it so it was something head in the sand yes exactly that's why i call it ostrich (laughs) um and and so he would sort of condone it and then every now and then we would um so she and i would get together and and so i call her my muse because she is the one who first introduced me to um uh girl on girl sex and and with whom i really explored that um side of myself and my sexuality. Um, I had been like 
from a very early age on, um, very much aware of the fact that I usually find female bodies, like in general, I find them so much more luscious and attractive, generally speaking, um, than male bodies. And that's not to, to create a hierarchy. It's just something I noticed with myself that everyone around me was um, talking about boyfriends. And I was like, ah, no, no, I don't like boys. I'm scared of boys. Uh, <laughs> so, so I was like, but, but I do like the women's body. Like they, they, were, they were so beautiful. So there was always this kind of um, fascination. I had also kissed a girl and liked it every now and then as a preteen and, and a teenager. So she really, my, my muse factor person, um, really awoke something in me that had already been sort of, I don't know, slumbering beneath the surface. And she really brought it out in me. And then that was amplified even more um, in the open relationship in which I, I became acquainted with the Burning Man community. That makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. No, thank you for adding that in. And like, it was definitely part of your journey. And, and I love that. Um, I love that you were able to explore and, and I don't know. Yeah. I'm trying to think of another word other than explore, but have mm-hmm. those experiences in your early twenties, you know, and have, mm-hmm. have that shape your, shape your journey. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because I think that's something that often people don't realize until much later. And yeah, and it sounds like, and just something I picked up on, like in your sort of describing it, even sounds like there's still a little bit of you're like, oh, I'm not trying to create a hierarchy, like oh, that one's better than the other. But at the same time, like it's okay if there is for you, right? Right? Like you know, people tend to have a preference for one or the other, and and that's not that one's better than the other, but just that that you see something in one versus the other. Yeah, it's interesting that you bring that up because I I think as a as a younger girl I felt safer with girls than with boys even though I had a lot of um, male friends that that's not I've always felt comfortable um, but that's the thing they were friends and I wasn't necessarily comfortable um, delving into anything sexual with them I I was a, I was a pretty late bloomer in that respect. And so if you would tell 15-year-old Sarah that by the time she was 40, um, she would be a uh, um, non-monogamous, uh, polyamorous, um, kinky, uh, <laughs> uh, unmarried woman, she would probably not have believed you. And I think that's the beauty of life, of just like coming into my own and like even now just revisiting some of the experience from my childhood and my teenage years, even my 20s, and just seeing them in a different light and everything does make sense. And but while, while I don't necessarily distinguish between male, female, non-binary, gender, queer, gender fluid in terms of who I get, whom I get attracted to, I do feel that gender plays a role in the sense of how people approach me Mm -hmm. um, and how I'm able to relate with people. And in a lot of cases, it's, um, Again, I don't want to generalize, but this is from speak. I can only speak to my personal experiences yeah. that sometimes um, men get almost annoyed by the fact that I'm confident and that I know who I am and that they want to, they want to create a hierarchy and that then leads to problems because 
I might not be willing to go along with that, right? I might not accept that they are going to put themselves above me in some way or another. So that is something that I have, especially in the last maybe 10 years that I have struggled with um, a lot. Struggle sounds a bit harsh, but it has been a bit a bit of a recurring theme where, I don't know, there's a bit of a power struggle sometimes going on. That, uh, that the autonomy is intimidating to somebody. That, that they're, I think because it, it goes against so much of what, what we often experience in life is the, a man typically comes in and has some amount of extra power in most situations mm-hmm. and and people defer to that. And you're sort of saying, yeah, I'm not going to really defer to that anymore. Yeah. yeah and th- that's kind of another reason why I feel so comfortable in the non-monogamous and also in the neurodiverse and in the kink communities is that people don't care so much about mainstream opinions and, and people do things differently and they are open to other forms of relating, not just in a romantic or in a sexual sense, but also other forms of engaging with other people where it might be common or normal or acceptable or whatever you want to call it for uh, a woman to be more powerful than a man, which I'm an academic. And I'm a fairly young woman in academia, and I can tell you there's a lot of power struggle going on in my everyday life that, that can be very exhausting. And so it's, it's, it's liberating to be in communities where these rules don't apply, and I just get to be me without all of the labels attached to my, my, um, my status, uh, my job, my, my income, my whatnot. Yeah. Hmm. I love the cat, by the way. I just have to. <laughs> she's, a, she's a constant cameo in a lot of the, um, when I'm in meetings or when I'm recording video lectures, like yeah. my students are huge fans of this. <laughs> I love it. Cats are drawn to the like Zoom meetings and the, no, any they're video. drawn to attention. Right. They're attention whores, <laughs> all of them. And they will be there where there is attention to be had. <laughs> Anyway, I didn't mean to distract from what you were saying, no, Sarah. Thank I you. Yeah, I don't thank think you I for saying anything. <laughs> <laughs> thank you for for what you shared. I think it's uh, yeah, it's it's spot on to have that to have that space where you can feel like it's like a relief to be around in in that different environment. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and, and I'm curious how sort of neurodivergence plays into this for you. You talked a little bit about it in terms of being sensitive and needing a little more downtime, but it sounds like it's it's shaped more of the experience for you and that that even you know as a pansexual person as a neurodivergent person as all of all of the ways that Sarah is in the world, this community feels like a better fit to you definitely, and this is something which I'm leaning into more and more this side of me. I think in general, the world doesn't necessarily cater to people whose brains are not working in a typical, and again, air quoting here, um, not working in a typical way. Um, people who have issues with impulses, with, uh, I also have a chronic pain history where my brain is super sensitive to impulses and when it's overwhelmed, that will translate as pain. And the world doesn't necessarily accommodate 
my type of brain. So I feel out of place a lot of the time, like a lot of the time. It can be a really small things like being on the train and people are video calling with the sound on and I, I get to hear both sides of the conversations like, please just leave me alone. And so I do indeed feel very much at home um, in um, non-mainstream communities. And it's also one of the um, things that sort of binds me and my two current um, partners is that all of us are neurodivergent and we have a lot of conversations about how um, it seems like the rest of the world is, is in a different universe from ours and, and um, we can very strongly relate to one another in that way. And that's really, um, it's, it's a huge part of our connection. Um, that and also like pheromones, of course, but it is a huge part of our connection. <laughs> yeah, I'd, I'd love to talk about that just for a minute because I'm, I'm curious from... And, and there's probably research on this, but I, I think to, to let, let's, if you can hang with me in this analogy, translating, <laughs> translating neurodivergence to another, let's say your neurodivergence is Mandarin and your partner's neurodivergence is Spanish. Mm-hmm. Do, do your neurodivergencies, or are you both speaking Mandarin? Are you both speaking Spanish? Or do you show up with neurodivergencies that clash, but because you're both speaking what is a non-typical language, you found a way to have more empathy and understand each other you better. You mean a non-typical language for they're, they're Yes, that yeah. they're both coming yeah. in with something that is quote-unquote different or unique, yeah. but they're not the same uniqueness, exactly. but that they're both unique. So you you come in on a level playing field anyway. Yeah, and and I I would like to describe it as um, we let's say indeed we speak Mandarin and Spanish, and then um, let's say some um, some Swedish, which, mm-hmm. which I do speak, so that that would be me. And then um, we all sort of understand bits and pieces of each other's languages, and then we yeah. come together in this Esperanto, in this kind of artificial mm-hmm. language that we are creating because we are looking for tools and terms and concepts and a vocabulary that we can use to communicate with one another. I think that's probably like we can understand bits and pieces and we can relate to certain aspects of one another's neurodivergence. And then we communicate about it in an entirely different language that is us picking up on aspects and that is in a non-existent language. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I imagine for some people who witness that in certain situations, they're like, well, what just yeah. happened? Like, how yeah. did, how did this just happen? And yeah. and it just, you have your own, but I, yeah. I, I offer that we probably all have that in long-term partnerships where things happen yeah. and it's like, well, how did you know? And it's like, oh, well, she did this and this and this, and that to me just triggers this. And, and we're speaking this unspoken language all the time. Yeah. And, and the, the beautiful thing is that we also get along really well among the three of us. So mm-hmm. I'm sort of like the hinge partner. Uh, yeah. And sometimes we get together, the three of us, and then we just, we have like ridiculous amounts of fun. We also have very serious um, conversations, especially my boyfriend also identifies as sapiosexual, where he will be asking us a lot of questions because he admires our intellect um, and wants to learn from us. And this is not me putting words in his mouth. That's how he actually puts it. He, he will be... 
uh, oh, I just want to have these intellectual conversations with you. And then we will go off and have like um, a lot of sex together. Right. And it's just all of that is enmeshed. And it's something that we're also really ridiculous when we're together while we're talking about super serious things. So I feel very seen and I feel very safe when I'm with them and I don't need to explain everything because they understand me. And when they don't, I know that I have the vocabulary to explain it to them because we know each other very well. And that they have the empathy to receive what you're about to explain. Yes, definitely. Yeah. 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 Thank you for explaining all of that and and sharing all of that. You're welcome. I think it's, it's incredible. And, and I don't think it's anything new, but it is something that we've started having guests on the show who have been more open and willing Mm -hmm. to talk about Mm -hmm. how, the neurodivergence and non-monogamy dovetail into one another mm-hmm. and that it is a it's a world that they feel that they can exist in better mm-hmm. yeah and, and i just i think it's important to touch on and for people who are out there wondering like well i think the two yeah. overlap a lot mm-hmm. yeah i mean it's essentially a circle if you look at the venn diagram i i recognize that i mean it's it's not exactly but there is a lot of overlap and mm-hmm. it's and it makes a lot of sense why. Yeah. 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 And I think it's also, what is also really important for my own personal development is just owning up to all of that. Um, maybe 10 years ago, I wouldn't have been comfortable with people at work uh, knowing um, that I have this brain issue because then maybe they would think of me differently. And I was still in the process of doing my PhD and I wanted to, uh, no, I don't want them to know because I don't want to get special treatment, blah, blah, blah. Whereas now I'm okay. I'm going to lead with this. Um, this is how my brain works. And I don't really understand what you're saying right now, but we need to make this work together because we're mm-hmm. um, colleagues. So let's have a conversation about how we can, uh, work this out so that it functions and that it operates well for all of us. So it, it it's an important personal evolution that, um, yeah, has, has been very characteristic also of the last few years. And just I'll segue myself into talking about coming out because I've been, um, I've been out in certain areas of my life. For instance, my factor muse has, uh, has been sort of, our friends, our closest friends have sort of always known that there was something going on between us and and some would be more curious about it than others, but we never really hit it. But I've only been out properly for um, roughly two years um, where I'm also um, owning up to it um, at work where I will, people tend to assume about me uh, that I am straight and that I am monogamous. And I used to sort of feel comfortable enough where I would just let it slide and I would be okay with passing for um, straight and and monogamous. But then the past few years that has for me started to feel less and less authentic, um, where I feel like I'm lying about something that's actually a pretty big part of my life. And so now when, when I notice that people are starting from that assumption about me, I will, I will, go against it. I will, I will speak up about it and I will correct it. Yeah. I think, I think I, I read as fairly straight, uh, in the sense that, um, well, some people have commented that my hair, which for the listeners is quite short, uh, <laughs> that my hair is very, very lesbian. 
Um, <laughs> those of you listening, you know who you are. Uh, <laughs> and then I, and, but that's the only thing, right? I'm, I'm, uh, I like wearing makeup. I like fashion. So I'm, I'm a pretty feminine, I'm pretty female or feminine leaning in how I present, but I don't feel comfortable with people imposing the heterosexual identity on, on me anymore. So that has been sort of like an active choice. I'm also, I'm also out with my students. So I teach at university and when, um, I, I teach queer theory, I teach feminist criticism. So when we have these kinds of conversation, I will also find a way of, I, I won't be jumping on the table and saying, you should listen to me because I am queer and I know what I'm talking about. No, I will like, I will try to work it into the conversation in a natural and not too obvious way. I don't want it to be about me, but I do want my students to know that they are safe with me to talk about these kinds of topics and to express their own identity. I find that very important. So. Yeah. 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 Oh, yes, definitely. And, and probably just as important as the conversation that you said, like now you have with colleagues at the start of, yeah. of a relationship to say, this is how my brain works. And I think, damn, if, if, if we all had that, like how much easier would the workplace be if you're like, well, yeah. Hey, we know when we go ask Sarah for something, we do it like this because mm -hmm. that's a way that Sarah can process that. And I'm probably going to get the thing I want versus huh, every time I ask Sarah, Sarah doesn't do it. And then I'm pissed off. And then I go into, and it's like, yeah, but man, there's an easier way to do that. <laughs> well, but it's, it's also in you, like you, you sharing that with them, you're trusting their response, right? They're the way they're, they're going to handle that situation, which can be scary. It's like as well, because, and yeah. that's just, that's sad that that's the way it is. Like I, yeah, I, yeah, I'm with you. I understand. And, and that's why I brought up 10 years ago, I wouldn't have felt comfortable also because I was still, you know, getting to know how does academia work what is acceptable and now it's just like okay i know i know the code i can speak the language but i'm not gonna do it because it makes me unhappy and also it will make my relationships with my co-workers fraught sometimes and i don't want i don't want that um so yeah i um and i also ask my co-workers what works well for them and how they would like me to approach them and ask them for help or favors or uh, input. Um, so it works both ways. Well, as it should, right? Like that, <laughs> that's really the, like how people should relate to one another. Of like, yeah, that's not how, how it no, is. No, I know. <laughs> no, it's like, and, and then there's so many reasons and we don't need to go down that rabbit hole necessarily, but it's, you know, yeah. I, thank you for at least uh, for, for talking about this because I, there's so much wrapped up in it and um, it's so important. Uh, and hopefully, I mean, how do we create change as we start, start, we start. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Well, I think what, what this sort of for me introduces is, you know, everybody is always saying, well, the key to a good relationship or even the key to non-monogamy is communication and, mm -hmm. and having good communication. And for me, one of the places that good communication starts is getting rid of all the assumptions mm -hmm. that, that we know what's coming or we know how to do something based on our previous experiences. And what, what you're doing 
when you do this is you're taking all of those and throwing them out, even for the neurotypicals and saying, hey, person, you, you may or may not be neurotypical, but like what works for you? Mm-hmm. You're having a conversation that in many ways you've been forced to have so people can understand you that everybody else takes for granted that they're just like, oh, we just assume and we just know, but like we don't. No. We we just we just assume and then we fuck it up and then we get mad at each other and then everything breaks down. And and in many ways you're forced into that conversation to survive. You're not fitting yourself into that box, just like religion. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Thank you for uh, summarizing. It makes me sound like very proactive and like a trailblazer, but it's just me also trying to make my own life more comfortable. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. but it is proactive. It's it I mean in many ways it's almost like you're taking on the burden of solving I mean it's you're solving your own sort of quote unquote problem that like I keep running into this. Mm-hmm. Here's a solution for it. And mm-hmm. it, and it frankly it's a solution that could be extrapolated and mapped to everybody um mm-hmm. to just treat each other a little bit more understanding and kind. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. from now on, everybody listen to Sarah whenever she says something because she knows <laughs> what she's talking about. Let this be the conclusion of this conversation. <laughs> yes. That was, that was my takeaway. I, I'll be calling you a lot for opinion. <laughs> um, I wanted to, I know that at the beginning of this conversation, we, you mentioned Bernie Man and that whole experience and, uh, Finn, you mentioned some. You wanted to ask some questions on that, and then we never circled back. Well, it, it almost seems irrelevant at this point. But I, since <laughs> since you bring it up, Emma, um, it was really just around because I think what you described is another common thing that we hear from people is, "Oh, I think I would be too jealous." And you didn't exactly say that piece, but oh, but that I was underneath think, it. Yeah, yeah, I think I would be too jealous to ever do something like this, and then you do it. And then it's like, oh, wait a minute, that's not jealousy. I actually really enjoyed that. Or there's pieces of this that are a big turn on. But in the moment, in that first experience, uh, your your partner just, I'm assuming, jetted off to the U.S., mm-hmm. went to the playa, no mm-hmm. cell phone connection. Mm-hmm. And you're like, well, I don't know. They're going to go and do whatever they're going to do. And I'll just find out in a week or so. Yes. Like, that's a yeah, big... it's not like you can be in touch with somebody yeah. when they're at Burning Man. <laughs> no. Do you, do you want me to talk about that particular week? <laughs> I would love to because I think what's interesting is that the end result takeaway is I quite like this, but that may not have been the initial no. shock of it all. No, and I, I wasn't quite there yet in that week. Um, and it was actually, um, it was a lot of me feeling sorry for myself. It was like, ah, oh, he's off to Burning Man and I'm here. The academic year is starting and I'm trotting off to work and have to start teaching. So it was a lot of uh, also uh, being sad that I wasn't part of that experience. Mm-hmm. Um, it was also me being very insecure. And after he got back, I also expressed that to him like, I'm just wondering, am I not enough for you? I remember that conversation. I even remember where, where we were, um, where we were sitting, uh, how how we were positioned vis-a-vis one another physically. And, and me asking the question, am I not enough for you? Uh, because, of course, that is the cultural narrative that had been imprinted in my brain from years of um, mononormativity. Mm-hmm. Uh, and his response was, no, I don't think I'm ever going to be satisfied sexually with just one 
partner. And I'm so grateful to, to him for the entire experience of that relationship. Not as if he showed me the way, but he did open up a lot of um, doorways into new experiences that I wouldn't have explored otherwise. And that moment where he replied, no, it's never going to be enough for me, was like such a click. It was like, ah, of course, like, why am I expecting that this other person will be satisfied, will have enough of an experience with just me because there's only so much I as a person can offer. And that was sort of a tipping point. Um, and then it took, it took months and years of further trying things out and, and seeing what I was comfortable with and, and what I wasn't. But that was sort of the, ah, like the aha light bulb moment where I realized that I could make things easier for myself if I tried to approach them differently. And what I also took away from that relationship is just don't ever say or or try to avoid saying, I don't like that, but maybe say, I'm not sure I will like that, but let me give it a try. And this is, there's this one quote from sex and the city, which Let's not get into it. But Samantha at one point says, I'm a trisexual. I'll try anything once. And that sort of would have taken away from that relationship. Like, I don't know if I, if I will like that or not. I think I won't. But I mean, I also didn't think I would like getting tied up and blindfolded. And it's one of my favorite things in the world now. So why not explore it and, and try it on and see if it fits? And if it doesn't, then at least I know. Yeah. 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 I relate very much to that. <laughs> and, and I love that the way you just described that all the, the experience of like, you know, I remember this conversation and that click, like obviously eight years later, approximately eight years later, yeah. Yeah. like that remembering that you're like, oh, you know, those points in our lives happen and, and, they stand out and it's like, okay, this was a, this was a turning point. And it's Mm -hmm. not, not like everything before that was bad or wrong or Mm -hmm. something, you know, but you're like, ah, this is, this is really like, now I can explore all of this. And this is, feels more true to me. And, and, and I just didn't necessarily recognize that before. And that's really powerful. Yeah, yeah, it is. And thank you for playing it back to me like this, because it's like, yeah, yeah, I actually am. And have you noticed that I've been smiling all throughout this conversation? Because it makes me so happy to be able to talk about this. And um, let me just drop in here real quickly as well that I so appreciate your podcast, because what it offers me is feeling more seen because there's there's a lot of people who are having the same kinds of um, experiences and who are asking the same questions and, and going through similar things. And it just offers a platform for a reflection. About, mm, is this how I feel as well? Or, oh, is that the way they do it? I could also consider this. And it, it's very hands-on and, and it's just like slices of life. And I, I enjoy that very much. So thank you. Yeah, thank you. Well, and... And maybe just to, to, to take off on that, you, you've dropped little hints around kink into mm-hmm. this conversation. And I'm wondering if you'd be willing to talk about how that aspect has come alive for you and then been woven into 
your journey. And I also do want to just comment that I love that you've been smiling this whole time. It's <laughs> such a joy. <laughs> Thank you. I can guarantee that I wasn't smiling this morning, for instance, when I was, when I was at work, but like, it's just, um, I was smiling a bit while I was working, but also like, this is when I come, I come alive when, when I get to talk about the things that are so close to my heart and, and that are such an important part of my, of my life and my personality. I love that. Um, well, let that be a lesson to anybody listening. If you want to smile, you come on the podcast. It will yes. change your day. It'll it'll turn your day around. <laughs> it will. It will. And I was kind of hoping it would, but I didn't want to like put too much pressure on myself and on this conversation. So I was sort of managing my own expectations. Um, but glowing yes. reviews for you. <laughs> oh, thank you. It takes it takes all of us. It That's takes right. all of us. True. True. Including your cat. Yes. <laughs> Sure, that always helps. So, uh, kink and how how that showed up in my life and what role that is playing. Um, what I remember about the introduction of kink in my life are two things in particular. One was again that partner with whom I was in that open relationship had waited several months, I think almost a year before expressing to me explicitly that he was kinky. And I was so surprised by that. I was taken aback, not because I'm like, huh, are you kinky? But because like, huh, why didn't you tell me? And so he was projecting a lot of social stigma around kink on me. He was expecting that I would be uh, appalled or that I would be shocked or whatnot, but I wasn't. I was like, I'm not sure that's going to be for me. But I don't know. Let's let's go to some events and let's see if 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 that sparks anything in me. Spoken um, like a true trisexual, by the way. Exactly uh-huh. right, and and so and that's also a really important. That was a really important realization for me at that point. Is that there were some there were some uh, aspects of stigma that I was I don't know that were maybe in the back of my head, but I didn't let them stop me. I was like. Okay, but then let's maybe let's see if if we can prove people wrong, right? Um, or if there's anything to it that I'm not seeing, and clearly there's a lot to it that I wasn't seeing. And then the second important um, factor uh, when it comes to me discovering my own kink was at um, a Burning Man event um, in in Europe. Um, where we had signed up for a BDSM camp. And so we were, we were volunteering, of course, and helping um, run the camp, help organize it. And one of the things that the camp was offering was um, almost around-the-clock um, shibari demonstrations. So there were people being tied left, right, and center uh, for that entire week. And I had the, I had the most amazing turnaround in in, in just my my own um, stance, my position vis a vis rope. Where at the beginning of the week I was like, ah, oh, that looks so painful. I oh, I don't know. I don't think I would ever want to try that because it looks like it's horrendous to have your body like constrained in that way. But then I did have a, a I did have like a click with one of the riggers, one of the people who was doing the tying, where. Um, we were sort of into each other and then he offered, um, to tie me up. And by the end of the week, 
uh, I had my first rope experience and it was mind blowing. It was like a three hour long sensational orgasm type thing where I, I, I still cannot find the words to describe it, but it was like, huh, <laughs> it was really epiphany. <laughs> um, and, and again, I think a lot of my growth and a lot of my learning moments have come from precisely the instances where I was like, I'm not sure, but let's try it. And, and exploring and, and, and trying things on and seeing if they fit. And so that was shibari is still the, the thing that I, um, that I like most. And that gives me um, huge escape from daily life. Um, cause in, in the type of job that I'm in, I need to be, uh, or I feel like I need to be in control of things a lot of the time. I have a lot of responsibilities, want to make sure that things go as smoothly as possible for my coworkers and my students and, and, um, trying to stay on top of my own work next to all of that. And then when I'm in ropes, I can let go and I can, um, release and, explore trusting someone else with making decisions for me um, I particularly like being blindfolded when I'm tied because then I can't see what's going to happen next and I just have to feel it and live it and experience it although I have to say I'm not entirely letting go of control even when I'm in ropes I'll be like mm, giving small nudges or, or uh, I'm not submissive I'm not really submissive so I, I will sort of give hints um, but I, but I like the, the option of letting go to a large extent. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's amazing. Yeah. And that makes, I mean, that makes sense. Like what the, I think many people listening will find that relatable of in one part of your life, you have to feel like you're in control and you mm -hmm. have to manage a lot. And there is a release when there's, when whatever whatever it is that you find to have that release. Mm -hmm. uh, it doesn't matter what it is yeah. that it's an important, really important part of the human experience, right? Just mm -hmm. living because you, we all, uh, it's not, I would say, I'm trying to think of how to word this. You don't want to stay in that state of, for lack of a better word, stress mm -hmm. all of the time. Um, but finding, finding releases, finding ways to, uh, calm and bring your body down to a different state is, and just be, just be in the moment, um, is so important and also can be so difficult mm -hmm. to do or to find what works for you or to let yourself do it when there, you have a, you know, a million things going through your brain and all of these things. So, mm -hmm. uh, thank you for sharing. I think it's, yeah. it's beautiful. Well, and also I'm a highly sensitive person, so I'm super, super sensitive to touch and the mm -hmm. people who are playing with me, they do not need to put in a lot of effort to get me going. Right. <laughs> it's like, and, and this is also something I, I really wanted to bring up that I find new being neurodivergent challenging a lot of the time, but it has also made me so much more in tune with my surroundings and um, it has given me some really beautiful experiences like discovering that that um, just like the the stroke of a rope or the touch of a rope can really drive me um, it can drive me to to sensational or sense sensory heights um, mm -hmm. very very quickly so and I don't need a lot <laughs> 
which is a which is a pretty amazing discovery to make about yourself <laughs> at some point along the yeah. journey, which yeah. is as yeah, incredible. Yeah. You've listened to the podcast before. Mm-hmm you know that we ask like to ask the question about some favorite bloopers uh, to show that sex and relationships don't always go as planned. Yes. Do you have any that you would like to share? Yes. I was thinking about this beforehand, like in preparation, because I was, I was going to be a little bummed with myself if I hadn't been able to come up with a blooper because I have been trying out a lot of things and they have gone wrong. Um, and then there was one in particular that, um, involves both my boyfriend and my girlfriend and I, I have their consent to talk about this um, it also involves my dad but I I didn't ask him for consent so I will I will need to uh, redress that after the podcast so I will start by saying that um, I came out to my family around two years ago as well and my parents response was the best I could have wished for they just said as long as you're happy that's all that we care about um, so that it's just, I feel very privileged in that I am surrounded by people with whom I can express mm-hmm. all of these parts of my identity. So now to the blooper. One evening last summer, um, I was having a date at my place with boyfriend and girlfriend and they had just arrived and it was a beautiful evening. We were, um, out on the balcony, uh, in my apartment and my boyfriend had just gotten out of the shower. Uh, he wanted to freshen up before we started the evening. And while he was getting ready, uh, the doorbell rang. And I'm not the type of person who has a lot of people come over unexpectedly. I'm because, you know, I'm quite private and I'm more the kind of, you let me know if you want to drop by kind of person. Mm-hmm. So unexpectedly, the doorbell rings and it's my dad. So I'm at the, <laughs> I'm at the, um, whatchamacallit, it's not a video phone, but the audio phone, like where I can mm-hmm. talk to uh, people at the door. So I'm at the, at the phone with my dad. I'm like, huh, dad. And, um, my brain went, yeah, I want him to come in and I want him to, to actually visit me because he doesn't do that very often. So now that he's here, um, paying me a surprise visit, of course I want him to come in. <laughs> Second thought is, oh, but my boyfriend and my girlfriend are here. Third thought is, Oh, but I've already prepared a cuddle puddle for us in my living room, which he needs to walk through, my dad needs to walk through in order to get to the balcony where we were having a drink. So um, I, I tell my dad, yeah, it's okay, you can come up. But, you know, my girlfriend and my boyfriend are here. Um, meanwhile, my boyfriend is um, uh, showing up from the bar, like just in a towel. And he's like, should I put clothes on? And I'm like, yeah, that might be a good idea. <laughs> and then, uh, my dad walks in and um, I lead him th- through my living room to the balcony. And I, I, I'm i just hoping that he doesn't notice the cuddle putty puddle that has been prepared. Because I'm like, I'm not sure I want to have that conversation. Like he, would, he had met my girlfriend before, but it was the first time he was meeting my boyfriend. And so it was like, it was awkward for a full 30 seconds. And then we just, we had a drink together. We had uh, a chat and... Um, uh, a laugh and then when my dad left uh, the three of us um sort of got comfy in um, the cuddle puddle and had a good laugh about it for like several minutes before we actually then transitioned into um the sexy part of the night and it was just one of those things where it's like 
Aha, uh-huh, so this is what being out also implies. Like, when you <laughs> be in situations where um, your dad shows up unexpectedly and um, you will need to decide whether you will uh, have the conversation about, um, you know, there being a lot of pillows and blankets and such on the floor in the middle of your living room and what they are there for, um, whether you want to go there or not. Um, so, yeah, for me, that's... Uh, that was a bit of a hilarious situation. And you, it sounds like your dad never asked. Correct? He never asked. <laughs> he never asked. Yeah. Which I which I love in like in in one sense, right? You know, it's pillows and blankets, right? It's not like you had a Saint Andrew's cross <laughs> and your your you know all of your accoutrement for for a, like a kinky scene. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, like if what if these were friends who came over to play board games every week, and your dad stops by, and you're like, well. I didn't know, should we put our board game away? Right. And it's so weird that our brains are like, well, I got to put the pillows and blankets away because those could be used versus like, I have to put away, you know, settlers of Catan because he might see something. And it's just such a, I mean, I get it, but it's also a strange paradox. Yeah. And and there's a difference between my parents knowing that I have a boyfriend and a girlfriend and Mm -hmm. my parents knowing that I, um, uh, that I enjoy shibari and then them physically seeing what it entails. Right. Yeah. And, and yeah. I'm not sure that I was, I was ready to um, confront my dad with that. But no, for well, sure. if he did notice, he also, he chose to not engage in that conversation and I respected his choice, but like the, yeah. the release with um, girlfriend and boyfriend uh, in the cuddle puddle, just the, the comic relief. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. 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 It was pretty intense. So. Well, I love to, I just give your dad a lot of credit too, right? If he, living by the statement that he and your mother made that we just want you to be happy, mm-hmm. right? That he walks into an environment and he's like, whatever's happening here, right? Isn't, it's not offensive to me mm-hmm. and it's making Sarah happy, right? What he saw some blankets and pillows, even if he's like, Oh, I can't imagine the the atrocities that are going to happen there, but he doesn't have to. He's just like, hey, pillows and blankets. My daughter's happy. I'm meeting these people, and and I got to have this time, right? He could have used that to be upset and hurt and shocked mm-hmm. and wasted that entire visit and chose to just enjoy it. And I think that yeah. says a lot about that they really embraced the thing that they said of just, we want you to be mm-hmm. happy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and this actually brings to mind if we have another two minutes. Yeah, of course. Of course. Yeah. One time around, that must've been around the beginning of the open relationship. I'm trying to put together the chronology. Um, I was visiting a friend of mine who uh, was in the States for a couple of months to do his PhD. I, I was visiting and that same weekend, his parents also happened to visit. And we were, I was staying over at his place and um, we slept in the same bed. We've been friends for forever. And uh, we've expressed to one another, like, there's no sexual tension between us whatsoever. And we actually love that because it makes our relationship that much um, less complicated. Because we know that there's, there's, we're always just going to be friends and we don't have to deal with any kind of um, issues that may come up um, mm-hmm. surrounding is he going to come on to me? Is she going to come on to me? That kind of thing. His, we had talked about, um, are we going to tell his parents that we slept in the same bed or not? And because it was a thing for his parents. Mm-hmm. And I had said, like, 
let, why, let, let's just try and be um, open about it because there's nothing wrong with us. We're both adults here. Um, your wife back home knows that I'm here. She is one of my best friends. She knows that I'm here. She knows that I'm sleeping in this bed. She doesn't have an issue with it. Why should your parents? And he mm-hmm. was like, oh, yeah, yeah, actually, you're, you're right. We should probably do this. His parents visit and they notice that there's just one bed and that there's no sleeping bag or air mattress or anything. And his mom gets really upset. And she's like, how can you do this to your wife? And so I was being slut-shamed for sleeping in the same bed. And she kept going on and on about it for the entire weekend. And at one point, I just told her, like, who are you to make these kinds of assumptions? And why do you think I would do something like this to um, my best friend? Um, And, like, if she's okay with it, why should you not be? And eventually... His wife ended up calling her, her mother-in-law and we we're like, I really don't want you to meddle in this. And so it was a whole drama and it makes me so happy to, <laughs> to have a family who is just respectful of what I, of the way I want to live my life. Um, and I, yeah, it's just a, a nice kind of opportunity to reflect on just how lucky I am. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's such a hard situation to navigate because you're like you're the other woman in quotes, but you're also not. You're just a friend, and wow, it's yeah. just crazy. Well, how... imagine if you were, and, and then just like, yeah. <laughs> and and his wife knew, and it was all above board. I mean, that would be another, yeah. <laughs> yeah, but then if he had made the decision to not be out with his parents, then yeah, it would have made it so much more complicated. Yes, yes. Oh, they're hard. It's hard situations to navigate. Yeah. <sighs> yeah. 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 Well, I have loved this conversation, Sarah. Thank you. Um, thank, thank you for reaching out. Hey, you sent us a voicemail. So that's a yeah. reminder to people that when you send us voicemails, you often wind up here. And so <laughs> could you also know, be we, a warning for people. That's right. It's both. It's both. But you shared that you went from not as smiley to much more smiley. And so it is an invitation, not a warning. <laughs> is there anything else that you wanted to get out there before we let you go? No, I think that's about that's about it really. Um I've really I've really enjoyed just I've enjoyed the knowledge that maybe someone else will listen to this and they will be like, "Huh. Okay, that's that's what things are like in my life as well and that maybe they can take away something from this." I'm a teacher, so I'm I'm always going to be like hoping to sort of um, plant little seeds in people's minds, like kernels that can grow into something that can blossom into something. Um, so that's why, I, like, I I really felt compelled to be on the podcast because I want to share in the in in the experience of feeling seen, and I hope that someone else feels seen when they listen to this conversation. Mm-hmm. I have no doubt. Yeah. 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 Also- I- I agree. <laughs> yeah. Thank you, Sarah, for, for coming on, for sharing your story. And uh, we hope, I don't know, I hope we get to do an update in a couple of years and see see what has what else is going on because it's been such a fun, lovely conversation. So thank you. Yeah, I would love that. Thank you very much. Thank you. 
Thank you, Sarah, for coming on. Oh, I didn't do it. And we're back. <laughs> and we're back. I threw Finn for a loop. I was. I didn't know what was happening. <laughs> okay, take two, and we're back. Thank you, Sarah, for coming on and sharing your story, reaching out to us. We love talking to you and just, yeah, thank you for your openness and vulnerability in the discussion and sharing. And thank you for the standing invite to come hang out at the Delirium Bar and <laughs> sip a couple beers together. Yes, that would be amazing. We will be there. Sometime for sure. Uh, a quick I will be back. <laughs> yeah, you've been there before. I have not. Yeah, I don't remember that night. <laughs> I remember standing in a puddle. That's what I remember of that Because it was raining out? It was raining on my liver, nope. is what it was doing. <laughs> too much beer, huh? Way too much. Anyway. Um, <laughs> that left. was 10 years ago, Finn. <laughs> now you let me lose Twelve, my chain of thought. 12 years ago, Finn. <laughs> 12, 12 years ago. Um, we wanted to send a couple of quick reminders here, or share a couple of quick reminders. Um, first up, we are taking a break from virtual meet and greets for the summer. We'll let you know as soon as those are back. But that is the only thing we're taking a break from. Everything, the podcast-wise, uh, is going to keep going. And, Our relationship. Uh, yes. And with the community, everything will keep going. In fact, as you heard in the intro, or unless you're a premium subscriber, we are adding weekly um, peer support groups as well. More information about those are in the intro if you missed that, or go to our website, normalizingnonmonogamy.com and click on the community tab and you can find out more. You can. I don't, I don't have a whole lot else to say other than we're super excited about that and just really grateful to Sarah for coming on and being amazing. Yes. Next week? Next week. Next week we have another wonderful, fun conversation. We actually interviewed uh, a clone of myself. <laughs> Yes, uh, that was true. So we had we if talked. If you want to watch Finn talk to himself for an hour, <laughs> we talked to Lee and Brady next week, and oh my gosh, throughout this conversation, yeah, I thought in some ways we were talking to Finn's clone. So um, it's a great conversation. We encourage you to come back and listen. Until then, have a wonderful week. Don't forget to sign up for those weekly calls, and, or the community in general too. Or the community in general, and have a wonderful time. It's summer. Well, unless you're in the Southern Hemisphere. Then it's not summer. But. Hey, it's summer here. <laughs> <laughs> We're a little bit self-centered. So enjoy your summer or your winter. Yes, enjoy your June. There you go. <laughs> Although we'll see you next week, which is em still June. Emma's a very inclusive person. Pride Month. Pride Month. Hey. Happy Pride Month. I feel a little bit bad that we just tacked it on here at the very end. Next week. Next week? Yeah. I think because... For me, we kind of celebrate Pride Month all the time. We in, do. We'll in the try. sense that we we have a wide variety of people doing a wide variety of amazing things. Mm -hmm. But I think that's worth probably mentioning it a little more officially. <laughs> it is definitely worth it. All right. Well, you heard it here first. <laughs> happy <laughs> Happy June. Happy Pride Month. Thank you all for listening. And I didn't do my normal sign off. I'm throwing this outro off like crazy. Bye, everyone. Thanks for listening. <laughs> Bye, everyone. Thanks for listening.